Blog Talk Radio. Baseball, it's all 
top 25 or better. So this notion that Kentucky is just men's basketball is, is not accurate. Uh, Mitch Barnhart and all the coaches, you know, we've spoken to Dwayne Peavy has been on the show. Uh, we've had Coach Florial, Coach Lipsitz of the women's soccer team. And they all speak about how the, the goal is for every program to be competitive, and, and we're heading in that direction. Uh, so it's, it's, it's exciting. It, it really is. And as remarkable as last season was uh, with the run to the, to the runner-up finish, um, now they, the approach has to be different. They, they couldn't sneak up on anybody this year. They may have caught some, some programs and opponents by surprise last year. I mean, this year, the element of surprise is, is not, you know, uh, up their sleeve. Everybody knows what they did. Everybody's cautious. Everybody's aware. Everybody recognizes. So the target now moves to them. They're one of those teams that are hunted, uh, and, and people get up to play, uh, get up to compete against. And even with all of that, with the perception of them maybe in the eyes of others changing, they still rise to number one in the rank. So um, this is just as impressive. The season is still going, but to come back with a strong encore season like that, when now you know they're gonna they're gonna kind of get more teams' best shots, uh, it's very impressive as well in its own right. Yeah, it, it's one thing to kind of be that 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 team that that person or whatnot that comes out of nowhere. Uh, but it's it's something else when you now have that target on your back. I mean, we see that obviously with with men's basketball being the uh, the, the shining jewel. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not, uh, but what we see is no matter what kind of season we're having, people want to beat Kentucky, and we're we're starting to hit that point in other sports as well. So that, to me, is, is exciting. Uh, so uh, congratulations to Coach Flora. And, and uh, for those people that didn't hear his uh, interview uh, last year, I was ready to, to, to start running some 40- and 50-yard dashes right then. So you know <laughs> he is bringing it, as he uh, alluded to during our conversation, Coming in second, and I know this number one ranking, that's not enough for him, and I know that's not going to be enough for uh, his athletes. They're striving to be the best, and they can do it. You know, they know what they did last year, what they're doing right now. They have the tools and the the capability to win right now. Uh, So why not go ahead and do that? Let's add another – Big trophy to the trophy case. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah, it definitely is, and it it makes fans who are more just big revenue fans, uh, football fans, you know, basketball fans. It, it makes the fan base branch out. You know, UK softball has made the fan base branch out and. Um, and start rooting for them and, and stretch out your support of Kentucky across the board. Uh, the baseball team has had good years. They're having a little rough patch now, 
here strong. Uh, the track team is consistently doing great things. So, uh, like you mentioned, like you hashtag all the time, more than just basketball, uh, it makes the fan base take note as well as, you know, all the other schools that they're competing against. Yeah, and, you know, my, my thing is, and I've said it before, and I keep saying it forever and ever, uh, I'm all catch everything. And, again, I understand men's basketball and, and I think football, those are your top two, those are your money makers and everything uh, along those lines. But every student athlete that puts on the blue and white is, is sacrificing, is working. Uh, as, as much as we love what Tyler Eulis did and what Jamal Murray did, they're those same type of players all across the board on all sports. And they all deserve that love from the Big Blue Nation. Am I expecting 60,000 people to show up at a volleyball match? Probably not. But just the events I've been to, there are real good crowds. Uh, you know, I took my girls to the UK Gymnastics Excite Night back in January. And Memorial uh, Coliseum had a real good crowd for that. And uh, that's the kind of excitement I want to see at every University of Kentucky athletic event. Uh, if they're playing at home and even on the road, there should be that contingent supporting the Cats because if we say we're the best fan base in college sports, which I believe we are, if we say that, then, then let's do that. And we're stepping up as well. So uh, it, I think it's absolutely fantastic what, what Mitch Barnhart and, and the, has done as well as his his folks like Dwayne Peavy bringing in the right kinds of coaches. It compared to when we were in school, which was a few years ago now, uh, the, the athletic program is, is totally different. Uh, it's better. It's, it's much better. And uh, this this ranking for the UK women's uh, track team just just goes to show what kind of work they have put in. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Uh... Congratulations, and no doubt, Coach Florio is going to keep grinding, uh, like you mentioned. Um, he, he's focused and got blinders on to continue to build uh, and finish this season as strong as it started at this point. And no doubt, we'll all be keeping up uh, with the way it plays out along the way also. Um, the next big news item, probably UK-related, and, you know, we're not huge fans, but we keep at it and just see what happens here and there. But as far as the NFL draft goes, we'll get to the big headliner in a minute with Mr. Tumble. But uh, Kentucky had one player drafted, uh, Josh Forrest, linebacker, which that's, you know, not throwing shade. That's more than Tennessee to say. They, they didn't have anybody drafted. So, you know, we were happy to see Josh go in the sixth round to the Los Angeles Rams. And in addition to that, Kentucky had a slew of guys signed free agent contracts uh, in addition to just being drafted. You know, had Jordan Swindle, offensive tackle. He's going to go to the Rams as well. Get a little write-up on the both of them for CaramelsRadio.com. Um, Kelly Mason, the long snapper, gets a camp invite with the Washington Redskins. Uh, C.J. Johnson uh, has a free agent contract with the Atlanta Falcons. Melvin Lewis, and I think everybody was happy to see that after the, the gruesome injury he had last year against Auburn, leg injury that he suffered. 
his season early. Big Melvin has signed a contract with the New York Giants. Um, Farrington Huguenin on a contract with the Dolphins. Look at all these defensive guys from, from UK. AJ Stamp, a free contract with the Cleveland Browns. So um a lot of a lot of blue going into the, the next level with the NFL. Have an opportunity to, to make a team, to impress. If it doesn't work out with the team that maybe they signed this contract with, they're still, like you always say, auditioning for, you know, the other thirty one. Because, you know, there'll be a lot of movement in the preseason and, and things of that nature. So you might catch an eye uh, and latch on somewhere else. But congrats to Josh for getting drafted and then to all the other guys uh, who were able to keep some free agent deals. And, and that's the, the strange thing is we've kind of become linebacker you. If you look at the guys that have gone into the league, from Kentucky here lately and really made a splash, a lot of defensive players, which some people outside of the Big Blue Nation might say, well, you know, your team's still terrible. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to flip that around and say, despite the struggles of the team, we've had really talented players come through the program, historically and right now. all the all the guys that, that signed those those free agent contracts, like you said, if they don't make it with that team, we know how it goes in the NFL through injuries or what have you. They will have other opportunities, and I think that's fantastic that they're at least on somebody's radar, um, and, and hopefully get their get their shot. Uh, as we have seen, uh, just because you're not a first round draft pick doesn't mean you won't have a long successful career. We have seen there have been a lot of Hall of Famers that have been either drafted in the fifth or sixth round or not drafted. So it's not where you start. It is definitely where you finish. That's the truth. This is absolutely the case. Uh, and that that phrase is said, you know, during the course of every game, you know, don't be mad if you don't start. It's not who starts the game, it's who finishes. And the same thing, like you just said, as far as the career. I mean, uh, Tom Brady is a primary, a huge example of that. And, of course, you know, with Bledsoe getting hurt, and then he stepped in, and we know the rest of history. Uh, but there have been others from lower depths of the draft to, you know, take advantage of opportunities and carve out excellent careers. And so, like you said, Hall of Fame careers, just by sticking to it and working at it. Yeah, and and even because not every Hall of Famer was a number one overall draft pick. The draft is not an exact science, and uh, you know I, I think what what hurt Melvin was his injury this year because he was playing phenomenally up until that injury, and and that's probably why he didn't get drafted. You know, teams are going to be leery. Uh, about that, but if you go into training camp and you bust your butt and show you can play at that level, I, I don't know if there's a, a sport that's more merit-based than the NFL because they will, I, you know, they will cut you if you're a name. If you're a pro bowler, you can get cut. If you are Jimmy Joe off the street, they will give you a shot. I mean, you you look at, uh, like you said about Tom Brady, you look at Kurt Warner and the way he kind of weaved and twisted his way 
uh, to greatness, who I think is a Hall of Famer in my book, but you see what he was able to do. Uh, the NFL is all about can you get it done? And uh, you know, all you need is that opportunity. Now that you've been drafted, now that you've signed a contract, you got to put the work in. Definitely. Um, and you mentioned all the defensive players in particular, um, linebackers at Kentucky. I mean, going back to Wesley Woodyard and Avery Williamson, Danny Trevathan, um, Khalid Henderson signed the Fred and Neil too. I'm sure I need to pull it up because I didn't mention him with the other guys listening. Um, it it would have been just great if, if they could have overlapped just a little bit longer. Me just being the from a selfish Kentucky fan standpoint, if if you know Woodyard and Avery could have been together a little longer, just because. You know, just as soon as one is, is made a big name for themselves, then they move on to the draft. Then we get another one. I just wish they could, have, you know, overlap and have some of these guys' careers kind of mirror each other. So, but no doubt we're all proud of their success. But, um, you know, like, man, if we could have Trevathan and, and Avery Williamson at the same time, you know what I mean? But, you know, they've all come through and done great for themselves. Uh, and like you said, it has come a, a, a steady stream of defense going out. I just hate that sometimes they only play together for a year. Right. If it's one of those things, if we could get, uh, like you said, if we could get some of this talent, even the recent talent, to kind of, if we could condense it down to, you know, where they were on one or two teams instead of four or five, then we definitely yeah. would have a, a deeper roster. But that is still something that the, the staff, uh, can point to is even though you know, the team is heading in the right direction, okay, I, I feel the program is heading in the right direction. But as we're doing that, people are still getting noticed and going to the NFL. That is something you can sell to recruits, and it's not a, a crazy sales tactic. We, we see it. When you look at it and you say, well, Tennessee may be a better program, but they didn't have anybody drafted, and we had at least one guy you can still point to that and say, whatever's going on, we're still maybe a notch or two better than uh, Tennessee in some aspects. We'll, we'll take what we can get in any kind of edge over them. I will anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you definitely congratulations to all the, the football cats uh, moving on to the draft. Um, and before we take a break too much, we're talking about football cats. Uh, Randall Cobb is coming back and graduating, and that is big news and news to be proud of. He's proud of it. Uh, big Blue Nation is proud of it. His family, no doubt, is proud of him as well. Uh, he said a few weeks ago in an interview that you know, Tennessee raised him, but Kentucky made him, um, and coming back and getting his degree outsides anything that he's done on the field. So uh, it's going to be a special graduation for him as well as the rest of the uh, Kentucky alums that are, graduates that are graduating with him. So congratulations to Randall Cobb for sure. Yeah, uh, he he's become a, a big face of like we were talking about. Uh, again, not necessarily great teams uh, that he played on, but uh, he put in the work and – 
he's he's become kind of that go-to guy in Green Bay, and for him to come back, that's fantastic. Uh, and he's not alone. There are other players that have come back and graduated. Jody Meeks has gotten his degree. Uh, so again, this notion where uh, you know we're just all athletic, all athletics and not academics, that's not necessarily the case. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll get a quick break in, catch our breath for a minute. Um, on the other side, we got to talk about the the big controversy, the big you know stir and noise of the draft. We got controversy in San Antonio to talk about as far as the ending of game two of the playoffs down there. Um, the Buzz family makes some moves, so I'm sure you have thoughts on that because your Lakers are involved. We got that. We got tons of stuff left to talk about. Still got the Kentucky Derby that we are definitely going to dive into. They just uh, drew for the post uh, the post positions for this coming Saturday's race. We'll talk about that. Terry and I will throw out our expert picks for who we think are going to win the draft because our keen horse racing eyes uh, can maybe drop some knowledge for y'all. Uh, all of that and more. You listen to Cats Talk Wednesday on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. Someone to break my heart 
and you look at the history of the Derby going back to 1875, it's been held every year since. Rain, sleet, snow, war, peace, it doesn't matter. The, the Derby has been that constant. Um, so it is something to be proud of. You know, before the Super Bowl, before the World Series, before any of that, before basketball was a sport, there was the Kentucky Derby. So it's, it's special. You know, last year coming off American Pharaoh being the, the first Triple Crown winner in neither, nearly 40 years, that's got a lot of excitement uh, back into uh, the Derby, back into the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, as, as usual, I, have, I do not have my horse ready. I do not, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I'm a handicapper. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend that I know uh, about the Derby. Last year, Little Miss is, I think, is mandatory in schools. Uh, they pulled horses' names out of a hat at their school. No, no gambling, no money was being bet, but everybody picks their horse. And she picked American Pharaohs, so that got her uh, excited. Uh, outside of Big Brown a few years ago who won uh, the Derby, I don't have a pretty good track record at picking a winner. I've had horses not finish. I've had horses finish dead last. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm not the person to go to for the handicapping. Um, another interesting okay. thing is this year, uh, not this year, but the weather. Uh, we've had some rain here, and although uh, they do a fantastic job with the track, getting it prepared, it's still – I think going to be a little bit muddy because we're supposed to have some more uh, precipitation between now and the Derby. So I think obviously that uh, is going to impact the favorite. You know, we talk about basketball teams. If you're not as talented as the other team, you kind of muddy it up. And that's where that phrase originated (laughs) from where in horse racing, you know, the favorite is fast on a dry course, but when it gets muddy, that's when that gap closes and those horses that may not be as good can, can make a move. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, the Derby, we've had uh, some snow here a few years ago, so you never can tell, uh, but I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's For my money, it's the best time to be in Louisville. And you do know that when, when I teased before the break, when I teased that we would drop for knowledge, you know I was teasing that that I was teasing, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so don't, you know, don't, you know, don't nobody take what we say to the bank. Don't, don't go saying no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, Nyquist is the favorite. That's the horse. There's always that one horse that everybody's kind of talking to uh, or talking about uh, before the Derby. Last year it was American Pharaoh. Uh but there's, there's a, a rarity of the favorite uh, going on to win the Derby, let alone the, the Triple Crown. Uh, but Nyquist, uh, they just drew for the pole positions today, the post positions, excuse me. Uh, Nyquist is coming out of the 13th uh, post. Uh, yeah. I believe, and I'm going to check, I think that is the last slot in the regular gate because they always have the auxiliary gate. I need to check on that. Uh, but it's a, it's a right now. It's a uh, 20-horse field, 
And yes. inevitably there will be a scratch or two leading up to it. Uh, but that's the thing, too, uh, about what American Pharaoh did last year is the, here recently the, the Derby has had 19 or 20 horses. It's, it's been just chocked full. And, of course, more horses – that that that's that's more that you have to navigate uh, on the track, uh, so it's going to be interesting. I think coming out of the 13th position, I think he's 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 far enough away from the rail not to get pinched, but he's going to have to make up some. There's some ground uh, that he's going to have to make up to to get to that uh, to to win it. Uh, so there is some strategy to it. When do you make your move? When do you go inside? When do you ride the rail? Uh, so it's more than just a horse racing as fast as it can. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but it, if I had to go with him, I would go with Nyquist, but uh, there's probably some horse folks out there that know way more than I do, than you do, that they could probably see things a little bit uh, differently. Um, the second uh, favorite at 8-1 to one is Exaggerator at an 11 position. All I know are the odds and the name. That's about it. So, yeah. Uh, but I just know you don't want it. Those one and two positions, you can get pinched on that rail pretty easy at that first turn, and it's hard to make up ground. Uh, but if you're on the far outside, that 18, 19, 20 position, that's starting out real wide, and you've got to fight to, to get closer to the field. So there's a, a lot of strategy that goes into it. And Kentucky Derby on Twitter tweeted out, you know, the odds and, and the, the horses in each position. And like I said, we just know names and odds. But Trojan Nation is the first post. Sudden breaking news is number two. Creator, number three. Motom, number four. Gunrunner, number five. Uh, number six, My Man Sam. And that's who my wife is going with. She just kind of goes by a name. Usually we just go by looking at them when they walk them in to line them up. She's going my man, Sam. Uh, Oscar nominated at seven. Lanny, eight to nine. Whitmore, ten. You mentioned Exaggerator, who was um, the second best odds to win out of number 11. Tom's ready at number 12. Uh, Brett Dawson uh, covers those. Pelicans now tweeted out that Tom's Ready is owned by Tom Benson, who owns the uh, New Orleans Saints. So that was just an interesting fact. I saw him tweet that out. Mike was the favorite at 13. Mo Heyman, 14. Outwork. Shagaff. More Spirit is 17. I was listening to the Leach Report with Tom Leach. Of course, you know, he loves some racing and knows way more than we do. And has on a lot of guests that know way more than we do. Uh, more Spirit is 17. They say post number 17 is the only post that there has never been a winning horse at. No horse has ever won out of number 17. I'm, I'm just going contrarian. And, you know, we had all the history last year at American Pharaoh. I'm going to say history is made. Spirit is going to break that string and win from post number 17. So I'm going to go with more spirit. Uh, Majesto, Majesto at 18. Brody's Call at 19. Dancing Candy at 20. And like you said, that's before 
the inevitable, more than likely, scratch or two that happens. That's the 20 as we speak. Uh, I'm taking more spirit to win out of 17. It's never been done before. We hadn't seen the Triple Crown in our lifetime when when we were old enough to actually see it. I think, you know, in 78, we were, you know, infants. So uh, we had history made last year. I'm saying more spirit makes history this year and wins from post number 17. All right. Well, that 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 goes. I'm 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 going with the favorite because that's just uh, what what I do. Uh, <laughs> when we when we take the girls to school in the morning, the uh, we drive by the airport, and and right now the airport uh, half of uh, they kind of shut down some hangars, and and now it's it's going to be from here until Sunday. They're going to just be stacking private planes, kind of one on top of each other, uh, as as, uh, as the celebrities come come rolling in. You know, eventually I'm going to be big time and go to some of these derby parties. Um, yeah. Uh, eventually, uh, a few years ago, uh, you know, uh, myself and uh, my wife, we we were uh, the Friday before the derby. We actually were. I can't remember the name of the organization, but we were doing a silent auction uh, at the Galt House, one of the, the fancy hotels here in town that hosts a lot of parties. Yeah. And we're leaving, and I'm looking because there's limos and everything. I mean, it's Friday for the Derby. People are there. And I'm, I'm walking across the lobby, and I said, this guy looks familiar. And then it clicks. It's, it's Warren Moon. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not usually a starstruck kind of guy, but I'm like, this is, this is Warren Moon, and, you know, uh, the run and shoot with the oil, you know, I'm, all this stuff is, yeah. is flashing through my head. And then, you know, I, I did go up and say hi, and he was very, very uh, gracious and very, very nice. Uh, but I tell people, if, if you want to see kind of who's who, you, you have to hang around some of the hotels uh, here in town because you will see them. Uh, so even if you can't, if you even if you're not an A-lister, you can still see uh, celebrities uh, kind of in their going and coming. Is uh is that your biggest celebrity encounter, uh, derby related? Yeah, that yeah that because okay. uh, unfortunately I don't get to go to the Barnstable Brown party, which I think is the the preeminent party. Uh, okay. But Daryl Griffiths is known to throw a good uh, a, a great party as well. Um, but no, I my goal is to at some point get on that that VIP list. Uh, I'm still working on it. Hopefully, you know, maybe by the time I'm 40, I can actually get on uh, one of these lists and, and go. And, uh, you know, I promise to be well-behaved. So if any of our listeners <laughs> got connections, I'll go. I will put on a bow tie, and I'll be well-behaved. That's all you need. That's all you need. This is going to, I don't know, this will, this will make you proud coming from me. As a Cowboys fan, and my dad called in to this show is a Cowboys fan, and I'm a Cowboys fan because he's a Cowboys fan. Uh, my dad is going to some derbies back in the day, and I've still got to do that. i got to get to a derby or two because I just need to get to a derby or two. We had this conversation last year as well. I uh, got Keeneland off the list, so i got to do that again, but i got to get to derby. But my dad 
and this is going to be right in your wheelhouse, came back from the Derby and, and told me who he had ran into, this would have been, uh, I want to say 89. So I'm, you know, we're like 11 back then. Yeah, 27 years ago. Yeah, 11. And he, you know, pulls out a piece of paper and shows me who he met. And it is right out of 49 or lower. He ran into Tom Rathman and Roger Craig and got both their autographs at the Derby. I'm I'm all about that life now. Uh, I I would love to do it now. My parents, uh, for those that don't know, my my dad was the assistant chief of police here in the city of Louisville for years and years, and my parents would always go uh, to the Derby. They were on Millionaire's Road. They got to go to the Derby the way you should go uh, to the Derby. So uh, they had a lot of encounters with a lot of uh, people. Uh, over the years, and uh, since I'm not a fan of the infield, I think I'm past the the age range for that. Uh, <laughs> next time I go, I'm I'm going I'm going fancy. All right, and you know me hating the 49ers as I do and always have, I still had to respect that he saw them. I had to, I respected. Tom Rathman because he was a bruiser, a heck of a blocker. I respected Roger Craig and that high leg kick and hard running style that he had. So, you know, anytime that I know somebody who's ran into somebody, I still think, well, that's cool. And my dad's always bumping into people, you know, at the Final Four, he ran into Barkley, he ran into Stephen A. Smith. He's always bumping it. It's just my dad. And, um, so that was cool. I was like, well, that's, that's still, as, as much as I hate those dudes, that's still cool that he, you know, ran into Rathman and Roger Craig. So, you know, that's that's probably the most positive 49er ever you're going to get from me on this show. But it was cool that my dad got to talk to those dudes. Yeah, and, and what I have found when you see, uh, you know, a celebrity or a famous person, it's all about your approach. Uh, if you if you come off crazy, that puts them on the defensive. But if it's just a hey, uh, how's it going? You know, most they're they're people just like us, and you know they understand what comes with the territory. But it's all about uh, your approach. Definitely. So yeah, we will uh, work towards you know making a big entrance and and doing a derby fancy in the coming years. So. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Now let's flip back to the last weekend, and and uh, I know you hit the um, NFL draft conversation a little bit uh, Monday on Big Blue Views. You know we had when you're on with Michelle Brown. No, we got to hit it as well. We're not draft guys, but the draft just kind of took over when all the Larry Tunsil stuff came out, uh, and it just kind of freaked out every team that was going to draft him, and, you know, he fell to, what, 13th to the Dolphins, and it was just a just a hot mess for him, really, personally, you know, to to have all that happen to him right when he's in the green room, right when draft's about to start. Well, uh, I, I went over to a buddy's house. We like to get together, a group of us, and actually, you know, we watched that first day of the draft because that first round is, that's the kind of made-for-TV 
kind of ridiculousness that the NFL wants. So we watched that. Uh, so we're sitting there with the pizza and, and whatnot, and then, you know, checking Twitter, as I often do, uh, say, wow, you see this Laramie Tunsil stuff just just dropped right, be- right before the draft. Uh, the picture of, of, of him, obviously, the video, actually, of, of him smoking what appears to be marijuana. Here is my two cents on that. The NFL – they are as thorough as anybody at, at their background checks. All these teams with their security personnel, they have former FBI guys and police officers and this and that to get that information. So for me to, for me to believe that that video caught teams off guard, that's a big stretch. I don't buy that. But that being said, it's one thing to read, oh, Mary Tunstall smokes marijuana or has smoked marijuana. It's one thing to read it, but then to actually see it. And, you know, we're a very visual uh, society. You know, people, you, you got to, if you see it, it's, it's more impactful than if you read it. And I think that aspect might have scared teams away more than just whether or not he used marijuana. Uh, whoever it is, and, and I, I know that he's got his people investigating, uh, whoever leaked that video, that's, that's, that's huge. That's, there's going to be some consequences for that. Uh, but you, you hate it for the kid because he's sitting back there as this is unfolding in, in real time. And while it made for, for good television, at some point your heart has to go out to the kid. You know, he's thinking he's top three or four pick, and as the draft is dragging on, it became awkward for everybody to watch. I would have liked to have seen them kind of pull him into a side room, kind of get him away from the cameras, let him uh, regroup, uh, because that's not good, that's not good uh, television. Yeah, and – uh, I guess it was Booger McFarlane from NCC Network, uh, Anthony McFarlane, former LSU Tiger, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, tweeted out that Tunsil went for the best tackle in the draft for a risk, risky pick at number 13 for doing something that 50% of the league does. That's in his estimation. After playing in the league for nine, ten years, he says that half the league, you know, smokes weed and Tunsil slid for doing the same thing that half the league is already doing. And like you said, the video uh, emphasizes what, you know, puts extra added emphasis on what was already uh, known. Seeing that is way more impactful than just already having common knowledge that it's taking place. And the the thing is, too, with, with marijuana, uh, with it being legalized in some states, it doesn't quite have the connotation that it used to. And uh, I don't think labeling someone as a bad person because they do it, I don't think that is, is beneficial. Uh, but we'll see. I, I don't know that that video raised any red flags for any of those teams that, that did not draft him. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. 
I'm going to withhold judgment. I'm like one of these people that will score the draft on draft night because you don't know, you know, uh, like we were talking about, me and my buddies, during the draft. I don't know if, if you can remember, but Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, that was a huge, huge debate. You had people yeah. up until the draft and even after the draft, you know, I, I, I don't know anybody uh, – you know, any notable uh, famous people in detail, but I just remember there being a notion the Colts had whiffed at, by not getting Ryan Leaf. Well, you can't judge that a draft the, the next day. You can't even make that determination, you know, even mid-season. Drafts take time. Uh, it, it takes a little bit of time, uh, at least the next year, to see who's doing what, uh, because for every draft bust, there was somebody that right after the draft said, hey, this is a killer draft. And uh, I, I just think, I don't think it's fair uh, to do that. I do think your Cowboys uh, got a steal, Jerry Jones doing the right thing and getting Ezekiel Elliott, because uh, that guy's ready to play right now. And we have a chance to get a right now guy in the you you have to get that guy even though uh, I know their running game was pretty good last year if you can get that kind of talent I think you have to get it so I thought that was a really smart move uh, by the Cowboys yeah and that was kind of the buzz leading up to the draft that he was he was their guy um, and. Like um, like we said with Byron Moten last week, you know, Darren McFadden ran for a thousand yards last year, and there was no threat of any kind at quarterback. I mean, Matt Castle wasn't scaring anybody. Um, Brandon Whedon wasn't scaring anybody. Your number one receiver was hurt. You know, uh, Des Bryant was out. So offensively, it was Jason Whitten or run the ball. That was it. You weren't, I mean, trying to get deep on teams, it wasn't happening. And McFadden still ran for 1,000 yards. So that's just, that really is a testament to the offensive line. Uh, you saw the year that DeMarco Murray had before that, and he had 1,800-some yards. Um, McFadden goes for 1,000. You got McFadden back. You add Ezekiel Elliott. You grab Alfred Morris from the Redskins, the guy who had did some damage to you in the division. So, you know, the running game should be strong again. You just got to have – it's so huge that Romo stay healthy. You got to keep him healthy. Uh, I'm still – you know, I just got to see it. You know, a couple of hits here and there. The line is good, but you're going to get hit. Everybody gets hit. And I just want to see if he's able to get up, kind of like Alex Porter. When we saw him, you know, take a few tumbles and then get up. Okay, that's what I got to see from Romo. Can you take a couple shots and get up? How is your shoulder really doing? Uh, and then I'll kind of feel better. But I, I was glad to see him get Elliott. The defense was bad, and so they, they got a lot of guys on defense. Hopefully they can pan out. They got uh, Jalen Smith, outside linebacker from Notre Dame. Um, defensive tackle Malik Collins from Nebraska. Defensive end from Oklahoma, Charles Capper. So they went heavy on defense. I like 
the fourth round pick, you know, for the SEC, you got Dak Prescott out of Mississippi State. Now, I'm sure that you hope to, to groom him uh, for a while. You know, that's, you know, realizing and hoping that Romo stays healthy. Uh, they wanted to pack the Lynch kid out of Memphis, but he went to uh, to Denver, and they weren't able to make a trade to work anything out. Um, but if, if Prescott can continue to work and grow, that can, can be an option as well. Uh, we saw what he did in the SEC. Uh, so I, I like that as well. For And then they went with some more defensive guys, a cornerback, a safety, and then they rounded out with a running back and a tight end. The tight end was Rico Gathers, who played basketball for Baylor. So, I mean, probably just a project, and maybe they can groom him into the, uh, you know, Tony Gonzalez and, and, and Antonio Gates were basketball guys that made the transition and, and became – you know, Hall of Fame tight ends. I'm not saying Gathers will be, but we'll see. And, you know, maybe he can be some insurance for Witten because Witten's been around for a long time. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out in a few years, but it seems to be a pretty smart, logical draft. They didn't do anything stupid. Um, tried to address some needs, and uh, we'll see. Because in the past, they have kind of done some, some boneheaded stuff. But this time, it doesn't seem like they did. Yeah, uh, just looking. Uh, I'm getting getting the names right for uh, for my guys. Uh, the first pick the Niners had they uh, from Oregon. Uh, they took DeForest Buckner uh, for the defensive line, and I think one of those things people fail to realize is, is your defense uh, in the NFL really has to be strong. Uh, I know that. When it comes to the Niners, Rice, Montana, Young, those guys kind of get the accolades. But the 49ers are the, at their best when the defense is, is, is beasting. So I think stacking up on that side of the ball uh, is a good thing. So Buckner's a good start there. Uh, this second pick of the first round, they picked up a, a offensive tackle or offensive guard, excuse me, uh, from Stanford, Joshua Garnett. And let's be let's be honest here. Very few of us can look at an offensive lineman, look at the the film, and say, "Oh, he's a good one. He's not a good one." It, I just don't have an eye for that. Uh, but I hope because uh-huh. uh, offensive line needed help uh, as well. So I hope that he's going to be a big pick. And then the next couple of, of picks, uh, a couple of cornerbacks, uh, Will Redmond from Mississippi State, Rashard Robinson from LSU. Again, defensive side of the ball, build up some depth there. Um, another defensive lineman in the fifth round, Ronald Blair from Appalachian State. Uh, and then uh, some some other picks. But I, I, I have a feeling, like I said, this is going to be a long-term kind of situation. Um, so next year could be another four or five win season. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. And the Cowboys still win week four. Uh, they might go one and fifteen, but they'll still they'll still win on week four. Just picking up on the trash talk session that you and I and Byron Moten had last week. Uh, Dallas will win in Levi Stadium. Uh, that's all I'll say. Even if it is the only win we get, and uh, we we'll have to just you know keep hyping that up and, and talking trash, you know, until it happens. Oh, uh, and I love Jamel Hill to death. Um, I even know she is, you know, Michigan State Spartan through and through. 
Love watching Spell on his and hers. Mike Smith, whenever I get the chance. Uh, she's hilarious on Twitter. Um, but being a 49ers fan, you know, that's her only flaw. That's her only flaw, especially being born and raised in Michigan and all. That's her only flaw. Well, you know, uh, I'll overlook her Michigan uh, state love uh, because she is. But she's honest about the 49ers like I am. It's A lot of 49ers fans are just were flabbergasted because the wheels came off and a lot of folks don't feel that it necessarily had to happen like this to to just totally drop off the map. Uh, but I hope they I hope they can turn it around. Absolutely. And um you know, she grew up in Michigan and all that, you know, Detroit and area and went to Michigan State. But she actually has ties to Eastern Kentucky. Um she was on a podcast with Michael Tillery. We had Michael Tillery on from out of Philadelphia. Uh, I had him on the show a couple times just to talk Philly sports and all that. She was on a podcast with Michael Tillery, and her grandma is from Wayland, Kentucky, which is in Floyd County. Uh, you know, Belfry and all that is over there. Eastern Kentucky, close to Virginia. Jamel Hill's grandma is from Wayland, and she used to visit her there. So she actually uh, spent time in the mountains of Kentucky and, and had ties there. So that's that's pretty cool as well. Well, that, that I didn't know. I learned something uh, new today. Yeah, yeah. Um, looks like it's another break, man. It is uh, seven, about to start the second hour. Still got tons of stuff to get to. Having a blast. Hope you enjoy listening to the show. Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy and Terry Brown on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network. BlogTalkRadio.com. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes.
Welcome back to Chats Talk Wednesday. Finney Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. I accidentally cut myself off, had to call back in real quick. So, you know, I was overdue for a technical difficulty. So there it was. Hopefully that's the only one. But it had been a while. So there it is. Hopefully it didn't make Trump show too bad. <laughs> well, it, uh, we had a pretty good run of, of non-technical difficulties, so I'm going to let it fly. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Man, we got um, to talk, too, about, about Cal's workout videos. They were hilarious. He was acting a fool, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But, you know, in the weight room, putting in work on the treadmill, what do you think about that that he, that he put out on CoachCal.com? Uh, I think we can all agree here in the Big Blue Nation that Swaggy Cal, uh, when he's got that <laughs> swagger, that that's that's what we want to see. Uh, so after this year's somewhat disappointing uh, finish, I'm glad to see Swaggy Cal uh, back. Uh, you know, I don't want to read the tea leaves, but I think he thinks that the next year's team is going to be pretty good. And one of those things, on paper, they look like it. Uh, I think he's just excited to, to get those guys together and and, uh, and start working uh, toward title number nine. We know that's the that's the ultimate goal. But but Swaggy Cow is my favorite. Uh, he he loves the media, and there's nothing wrong with that. I I, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was funny. And you know, he's going to go and bench to seventy. And then, of course, he had a little help on each end of the bar after the camera panned out, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just him being him, and it was, it was funny. And he even talked about staying 20 more years. So, he was, you know, get them. So, uh, you know, take everything seriously, but he, in his mind, maybe he's talking about staying around for a while. And that's what we all hope as well. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if he'll stay 20 more years, but uh, I think uh, most people would take another four or five. I, I think that would put him in, in very good company uh, when all is said and done. Uh, and being kind of the number two coach at Kentucky, uh, that's, that's, uh, that ain't bad. That, that's definitely not bad. Exactly. Of course, the, the main thing, you know, and everybody knows we're not recruiting guys. The main thing everybody's kind of holding their breath about is, you know, the Marquise um, Bolden kid has kind of come down to Kentucky and Duke. But, you know, and he's a you know, legit big man. A lot of the things that, you know, Kentucky is loaded with or without him. You know, if they get him, they'll be loaded. Uh, they got a stat class coming in. Without him, let's just say he does go to Duke. Um, the class coming in, Flasha Kalia Jones, you know, 6'10", he's real skinny. Uh, winning Gabriel, 6'9". Uh, Bam Adebayo, 6'9". Two guards, Aaron Fox, Malik Monk. If Kentucky doesn't get Bolden, if Marcus Lee can, you know, does not return if he goes pro, whatever going pro ends up being. 
then that will leave Isaac Humphreys as the only seven-footer. Still young, got a year under his belt, but could Isaac Humphreys develop over the summer and be that big man uh, on a consistent basis, pulling a lot of minutes uh, if Marquise Bolden does not come into Texas? I, I think so. He showed a lot of flash, and, and yes, uh, you know, the, the tech at Texas A&M and, and things like that. Um, but he showed he showed a lot of flash, a lot of heart. I, I think a, a, a summer getting work in, uh, he won't necessarily be the liability that he kind of was on defense, even though he showed good instincts. Uh, I, I don't say, I'm not going to say he's going to be a double-double guy, but he can certainly, uh, I think, be serviceable. He's got a, a nice jump shot, uh, 12 to 15 feet. Uh, he showed tremendous hands in the post uh, on entry passes. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about what he can do uh, next season, with or without Bolton. Right. Because that would leave – don't get Bolton – Khalil Jones is in, and William Gabriel is in. He's listed 6'9", 2'10". Uh, out of Bayou, 6'9", 2'10". We'll see. Maybe you maybe throw Ty Winyard out there. We all wanted to see Ty Winyard last year. But um, he's supposed to be a big physical guy. So you would have some physicality with Winyard and Humphrey if Bowden doesn't come. So, um, And you've got some 10 heights. With, with Jones and Gibson. Yeah, and and I think Cal, uh, like we said, he's he's going to figure it out. Uh, I do think we won't end up like this year and have uh, big bodies uh, uh, not being able to produce. I think they will. Uh, so I'm not nearly as worried about next year's front court you know, as we all kind of saw what happened with this year's front court, I, I don't think that'll be uh, the case. No. And as far as the NBA combine, you got Isaiah Briscoe, Marcus Lee, and Alex Poitras. Um How do you think the results will kind of affect or not affect what they do? Uh, I, I don't, Lee, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I haven't heard kind of one way or the other which way he might be leaning. Although he might very well kind of be be done, and and, that, and that's fine. I'm not going to fault a, a young man for for that. Briscoe's kind of in that in between. I think this year's draft class not being nearly as stacked as next year's anticipates being. Uh, I think that kind of weighs. A, a little bit. I saw some information where he's got some uh, one-on-one work he's doing with some teams, even though he's not officially on the combine list. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know if he says to himself, "I go now," or do I, you know, play three years? Because, uh, like I said, next year's class is uh, is going to be very, very. I would love to see him back for selfish reasons but he's got to make his decision based on uh, on the factors he's getting from, from teams and, uh, you know, whatever he talks about with his family. 
Uh, I, I think the, the one thing that I uh, I think Alex Poitras kind of being on that alternate list. Yeah, I, I don't know where he will end up, uh, but one of the more enigmatic uh, players in UK history. I, I think his ceiling was one of the highest, but how often did he hit that ceiling? Not nearly enough. Uh, and I love the I love the guy. Fantastic kid. Did everything you want a student athlete to do. But if he's going to make basketball his job. You've got to be a, a way more consistent uh, than he showed at Kentucky. Yeah. You talking about Poitras? Yeah, talking about uh, Poitras. Yeah. And, I, and I'm still – I still lean that way for Lee as well. Now, you might get news that makes it a, a no-brainer decision for him to go ahead and go. Uh, and if that's the case, fine. Uh, I mean, he's going to make a decision – one way or the other, regardless. Um, and so we'll see. And I, I did forget to mention Derek Willis, too, as far as the tall guys coming back, too. And, and, you know, he'll be versatile, and he's working to improve his defense uh, in addition to his to, uh, shooting and stretching defenses. Uh, he's working already to improve his defense and his rebounding. Uh, so he'll be in the mix next year as well, another 6'9 guy. Uh, Thin, but still got some height and some length. I forgot Derek when we were talking about the other guys coming in. Um, but and as far as Briscoe, I mean, the shots just didn't fall in the game for him. Um, he may get a review that makes it worth his while to go. Um, but it, it's it's different to me for him. As compared to Scal, Scal is, you know, seven foot tall. You can't teach that. Uh, you saw flashes of what he could do. You saw the skill. I think Briscoe would just have to show that he could do that. I mean, there's a lot of guards, a lot of six three guys. Now, he can finish in traffic like nobody's business, um, and he's a good defender out on the perimeter, and he's physical. Uh, but if he can just hit some shots, there were, there were some moments where he did knock down some shots. Uh, knock down that jumper, maybe come back, get that jumper right over the summer, and and have a good season this year from the perimeter, uh, and then maybe that will also help the free throw shooting. Then he'll be ready. But I mean, look, like I said, there's people that evaluate these guys way more than we do. He might get a good review and make it worth his while to go and get the right information to say, okay, I'm entering the draft uh, and I like my chances. So. We'll definitely see how it all plays out, but uh, it's fun for us as fans to talk about it. That's what we do. That's what we do. So that's what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked Cal. We talked the Combine. Um, Oh, just to follow up from from last week, too, as Michelle said, and she's listening to the show while she's out for a walk. Uh, it's always a great show. We appreciate you listening, Michelle. Appreciate you tweeting in and uh, saying that you enjoy the show. We're definitely trying to put on a good show each and every week. Our guest last week, L. Young, Louisville native, talented singer, songwriter, actor, producer. Um, the day after he was on with us, he was on last Wednesday. Thursday, he came out with his 
uh, tribute to Prince, the acapella version that he's done. Have you gotten to see that yet? Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And and we knew he was talented beforehand, but uh, as they say, brother, brother's doing some things. So it, that was uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it was just, it was an honor to have him on and didn't ask him specifically about it while he was on with us. But, I mean, the whole reason we had him on, I, a buddy of mine sent his tribute to Earth, Wind & Fire after Maurice White passed away. So you knew uh, a Prince tribute was in the works. So the very next day after he was on with us, he put that out on, on YouTube, uh, on his Facebook page, Joe Young there. You can follow him and, and see everything he's posting. Um as well as what he's doing, you know, as far as putting out albums and touring and booking shows. So, uh, honored to have him on, and, of course, he, he did a great job, just like we knew he would. It was, you know, as good as an, as, as awesome as we thought it would be. So um, that was that was very cool. And like you said, man, the dude is just talented as he can be. Um, the controversy, well, no, I want to save it. I want to save the ending to the Thunder and the Spurs game, want to hold that because we gotta we gotta jump in and get to your Lakers. But first, it's been a while since we got an update. Are you still hooping on Tuesdays? And if so, what what kind of stats are you dropping? Man, let me. Yeah, I'm still playing on Tuesdays. That's still going on. Uh, I felt like Kyle Lowry uh, last couple nights. I can't buy. Uh, <laughs> Oh man! I can't buy a basket. Uh, my 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 shot is 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 not falling. Uh, I thought I had I was I've been tweaking with it a little bit, uh, but it is it is definitely not falling uh, in gameplay. But I, I'm you know I'm not one of those people. I'm not letting my offense dictate anything else. So I'm still doing uh, what I can to help my my squads win. But uh, yeah, the shot is it. It is not falling at all. It is, whew, it, it, it is bad. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that still that still goes on on Tuesday night. All right, all right. You know we gotta we gotta work that in the show. It's been several weeks um, since we had talked about it. I don't know was it I think before Kobe had retired, you, you tweeted out you had rocked the Kobe jersey a couple times. Uh, when you went to play, and so just got to get updates every now and then. I haven't played on Friday in a while. I've just been going to the park and shooting a little bit, trying to just work on my shot. But I got to get back and jump in there and play some pickup games oh, myself as well. Um, and this is another local, another local thing, just that you had tweeted out a long time ago, maybe last summer, um, and maybe this was done to help with the crowd at the dirt. Didn't they build like a new bridge in Louisville? And from your tweets, it struck me that you were less thrilled about it. Are you still ticked off at the bridge? Is it helping with the crowd coming in this weekend, uh, or is it just between your eyes with money or what? Well, it's it's not fully operational just yet. Well, the new bridge, the Lincoln Bridge, is is open. Uh, which is right next to the Kennedy Bridge. It's Interstate 65. It's going over. Uh, it's Interstate 65 going over the Ohio River. 
I was just saying we don't need any more bridges to Indiana because who's really going there? But uh, <laughs> the new bridge, what will eventually happen is I think the older bridge will be for northbound traffic or the new bridge. I, one One's going to be northbound, one's going to be southbound to alleviate some of that uh, downtown uh, congestion. It's not they're not fully there yet. All traffic is on the new bridge right now. And as they finish things up, they'll have both bridges running. Uh, basically, the bridge, uh, it's about 30 years too late. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, traffic is, yeah. Uh, because as the uh, metro area of Louisville has continued to grow, uh, the bridges that we have, there's only one made Interstate Bridge right here in downtown, uh, Interstate 65, and then 64 is a little bit kind of right outside of downtown. Uh, but for just regular commuting, another bridge has been needed. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're getting two. There will be another bridge in the eastern part of, of Jefferson County that will open up, I believe, sometime next year. Uh, so it, it's, it's some exciting stuff going on. Uh, but still, I don't know why anybody needs a bridge to Indiana. Indiana is not a place you go to; it's a place you go through, and a place you come from. <laughs> there you heard it. There you heard it. So, um, I've been meaning to ask that for several shows just because I remember all the tweets about it last year, and I, I don't. I mean, you weren't the only one that wasn't really thrilled about it, but you know, so I had to just get a little update. On the bridge status in Louisville. So, um. well, well, like anything else, like I said, we went 30 years needing the bridge, and all of a sudden, with the bridge and all of the other, they said I do work on all the inter, other interstates at the same time. So it's just, it's just been one of those things. You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but to get there has just been, ah, uh, it's been torturous. Well, well, I hope they eventually get it done. It always takes forever, but maybe one of these days it'll be like it's supposed to be and, and smooth things out at some point in time. Um, your L.A. Lakers, last week we were talking about Byron Scott getting fired. Um, it was after Tom Thibodeau and Scott Brooks and guys had already gotten hired. Uh, by Minnesota and Washington, respectively. Now they have nabbed former Laker Luke Walton, current Golden State assistant Luke Walton, to be the next man in charge to coach your L.A. Lakers. Uh, You were underwhelmed about Pop's assistant possibly being on the list. Do you feel better about Luke Walton being the guy? Uh, I mean, the, the the thing is, I I know what record he had, you know, coaching in uh, for Steve Kerr this year, but coaching the defending champs with the reigning MVP, okay, I, I don't know if that's a fair assessment of what of what you know he, his acumen is going to be. Uh, Believe it or not, there. I mean, there are some. I think there are some pieces 
in Los Angeles for the Lakers. D'Angelo Russell has, has proven to be uh, pretty good. I mean, he's still got some, some work he's got to do. Same for Julius Randle. So there is some, some youth on the team. Uh, I have a feeling that Jeannie Buss is going to be more involved with uh, with the operation. So I, I think the sales pitches to potential free agents, I think, will be a little bit different. Uh, and, and, you know, you know I'm a Kobe guy. And, and without Kobe there, uh, the free agents they talk to will understand, yeah, you can come and you can be the man. So I think it's a, it's a different sell than it was with, with Kobe uh, being there. People can say what they want about the Lakers, the time being passed. It is still one of the premier franchises in all of North American sports. And even though the Clippers try it, the Lakers are still the glamour team in L.A. And the, the sales pitch you can make, uh, coming from a Lakers organization is, is different than 98% of the other teams in the, in the NBA. Maybe I'm being a little too optimistic, but I don't see them being down for long, uh, depending on draft and all that kind of stuff. I, I think they bounce back uh, to a more respectable team uh, next year. Luke Walton, kind of an unknown uh, commodity at, at this time. I know he played real well on his, during his stretch with the Lakers, uh, so it's going to be interesting. You know what kind of coach, uh, what kind of coaching staff he assembles. Uh, another big under the radar type type thing is not only did Kobe leave, but longtime trainer Gary Vitti uh, retired. Last year was his last year, so you've got somebody that was wrapping up the ankles on. Magic and Kareem also, you know, helping Kobe bounce back from injuries. That's a pretty, that's a pretty long and storied career uh, to be the head trainer of the Lakers. So that's going to be something else that, that the players and the and the staff has to uh, adjust to. So, um, again, with my like with my Niners, I'm just going to be uh, you know to wait and see. Right. Right. Just definitely had to see where you were to, you know, it's, it's your squad and they move the needle whether you like them or hate them, whether they're in the playoffs or not. So, um, whenever the season ends for Golden State, Luke will travel on back down to, to SoCal and, and take over the reins. Um, getting to the playoffs now, currently, um, they started off. We had the second round was, was I don't want to say boring, but it was it was blowout. The first round, in some respects, I mean the Spurs just killed Oklahoma City in Game One. Golden State blew out Portland in Game One. Um, Cleveland, you know, had a big lead on Atlanta. Atlanta came back and Cleveland pulled away, but um, the blowout was. A, Nowhere to be found when you had OKC and San Antonio in game two. As a matter of fact, you know, Oklahoma City came in and, and took it to them in the first half, first quarter, which I guess allowed them to, to hang on and win. Uh, and we've talked about 
how they continue to give up lead after lead after lead in the fourth quarter. But the ending <laughs> in San Antonio for game two, had you seen anything like what we saw when Deion Waiters, you know, threw an elbow to Manu, Manu Ginobili uh, before inbounding the ball and then just the, the wildness that ensued after that? Had you seen anything like that? Uh, no, it was uh, a bizarre end to the game that just led to a comedy of airs, basically. Um, when you look at that last 13.5 seconds of, of, of game clock, the, the referees, they, they looked incompetent because there were just so many violations that occurred that it, it, it just how does nothing get called? That was my thought. You have to call something. Uh, you know, everybody starts with Dion Waiters and the elbow clearing out Manu Ginobili. My thing is, before that, Ginobili steps out of bounds, cross that plane, and you can't do that. Some people, yeah. I've seen it on ESPN, talk about, well, that's not a call that you – it's still a violation. I have seen – I've watched a lot of NBA basketball. I have seen officials, before they give the ball to the inbounder, push or move the defender back to give the, the inbounder space. I have seen that. That happened routinely because with all basketball arenas, Everybody's closer, and, and the guys don't have as much room as they used to. So if the delay of game or warning was issued or anything like that on Ginobili, nothing else happened. I think what hurt Ginobili with the elbow, should it have been called? Probably. But given his history as a, as a flopper and an over-exaggerator, I think that came into play to hurt him in that instant. All that being said, elbow, whatever, the Spurs get the inbound pass. Ginobili's driving to the basket, gets turned around, and throws the ball over his shoulder to, of all people, Patty Mills, yeah. for a desperation heave that's nowhere close. And in all that, you've got Westbrook's jersey being grabbed. You've got Kevin Durant, I think, being fouled by Danny Green on the inbound. Yeah. You've got a fan reaching out and grabbing the arm <laughs> of Oklahoma City's Stephen Adams, and then LaMarcus yeah. Aldridge gets, gets fouled underneath. So you've got about six different huge things to call. So it's almost fair that nothing got called, but it was just bizarre. My thing is, had the Spurs scored on that weirdness, that, that odd play, and we can clearly see a fan holding on to Steven Adams, how does that, how does that go over? I mean, <laughs> you could point, and, 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 but the Spurs ended up with a, a three-on-one, two-on-one break. Ginobili does not take the shot. They still had an opportunity to win. You can say what you want. 
you know, they would have gotten the ball if the foul was called on Deion Waiters and Pop could have drawn up a play. You can say all that, but the Spurs ended up where they could have taken a, a great shot. Ginobili in the lane, I think, is, is a good a shot as you're going to get off any inbounds play. Uh, but it was just, it was just bizarre. It, it was just one of those things where there's got to be a foul. Some, there's got to be something. You've got bodies flying. Uh, and this has been my longtime complaint of the uh, NBA. The officials, they, they don't want to make that call toward the end of the game, and then they end up making no call, which is, in my mind, just as bad. Because you go from uh, playing basketball to, to whatever it was we saw uh, there and also the Pacers and the Raptors, a very similar situation. Officials are scared to make that call, and you, you got to make it. My thing is, if you call it in the first half, thirty seconds into the game, you call it in the last thirty seconds of the game. You have to call it. That's not the uh, that's not the uh, officials making the call. If you foul somebody. The players have determined that outcome. Uh, so swallowing the, uh, the whistle I don't think is a good thing. And going forward, we will probably see some changes to the NBA officiating throughout the rest of this uh, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, after every game, it's going to be all these reports about admitting that they missed this, admitting that they missed that. We saw when Houston beat Golden State in game two, NBA came out and said, you know, they missed the call. It should have been an offensive foul uh, where James Harden pushed off Andre Iguodala to clear space to get the shot. Every game, it seems like there's something. Oh, oh, we missed this. Uh, the refs admit they missed this, which it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. But this one last night, um, Sam Amick tweeted out from the NBA officials report. <laughs> All it is is INC, 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 incorrect, incorrect, CNC, correct, no call, correct, no call. On all the fouls and everything, the contact made uh, between all the players for the, the Thunder and the Spurs, I tweeted out because it's just such a long, lengthy <laughs> run of things that were missed and omitted and overlooked and seen but not seen, if you will. So it was, it was a mess. Like you said, they, they can't just come out with this after every game saying, oh, here's everything we missed. Here's everything we missed. They can't just keep doing that night after night (laughs) until June when the finals are over. Yeah, and and, and this has been the epidemic of, and, and I've been saying this for a long time, I know you can't blame things on the officials, but basketball officiating as a whole has gotten, in, in my mind, has gotten progressively worse at every level. The problem is the players are so fast, the space is so confined, it's hard to see exactly what's going on. So what you end up with, you have officials making anticipatory calls uh, and not quite being in the right position And, you know, if you look at the NBA officials, these are guys, 
a lot of them in their 50s and 60s running up and down with some of the world's best athletes. Is that a recipe for success? I don't believe so. I think that we need younger officials at every level just for the simple, the, the physical and mental toll it takes throughout the season. Uh, we also have a situation where you get uh, officials that want to become bigger than the games they're covering. No one is paying big money to see officials blow their whistle. Nobody. It's not about you. Uh, I hate, uh, particularly uh, for the home team, where you've got a guy, he, he winds up to give the and one call and a very emphatic block call. No, that's not what you were, you should not be theatrical. That's, that's not what you should be about. That's one thing I do like about the NFL refs. You don't see the bat judge just go completely bonkers when he throws his flag, but you see it in basketball all the time. That needs to yeah. be eliminated. It, it, it's just we need to hold the officials accountable. My number one pet peeve is when an official calls out of his zone. When you've got the guy underneath the basket calling a foul at the top of the key and there are bodies in between him and the players, that's, that's bad. Or, you know, the official right in front of the play makes the call but gets overruled by a guy across the other side of the court. That's ridiculous, and you see that happen all the time. You've got to call your zone. That's why there's three guys out there. Everybody's responsible for something, and, and that's not what we see. Uh, I would hope that the NBA and, and all these, uh, the, the NCAA, all these different conferences say, hey, we, we've got to do better. The product we are putting out there isn't as good as it could be. Uh, we should never know the names of the officials. But I know before Kentucky game is one of those things, I think Oscar Combs does it and some other people hear the officials for tonight's game, and you know what's going to happen with a Pat Adams. You, you, you know what's going to <laughs> you, you know, uh, oh, the name is uh, uh, Doug Shouse. You yeah. know that uh, Cal, Cal's got like 25 technicals since he's been at UK, and Shouse is, 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 is ref like 16 of them. I mean, that is that shouldn't happen. Uh, and in the NBA, uh, Joey Crawford, longtime official, who seemed to have a personal axe to grind against the Spurs. He threw Tim Duncan out of a game <laughs> while he was on the bench, yet he was Laughing. still able to – yeah, for laughing and still <laughs> able to officiate Spurs games. Look, I, I'm not going to say – well let's, well, let's just say that the officials, they're people. You're going to have teams you like, teams you don't like. But if you have a conflict like that, there's no way you should be officiating those games. They're just none. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to go as far as saying that the referees are throwing the games, but your personal biases come into it. I, I, I think that it's fair to say that maybe – there's a different way to do business. Very true. Very true. Uh, and, I mean, 
you know, Waiters got away with that. Uh, but, you know, if, if the Spurs had come out and played in the first quarter, you know, they wouldn't have been in that position. I mean, uh, they they knew they blew OKC out in game one. They've been around the block many, many times. They know how the playoffs work. They knew OKC would be desperate in game two. Uh, OKC knows that the Spurs don't lose at home. They've only lost, I think they only lost one game or two all year. Go to State went in there and beat just, them. Just, that, just one. That might have been it. So the the Spurs knew, that, I mean, the Thunder, they got to get game two. I mean, it's it's life and death if they don't get game two. So for OKC to go in and be up 14 to 4, 16 to 4, and, you know, and just, just go upside San Antonio's head like that, you know, for San Antonio to come out so flat was really surprising instead of, you know, matching intensity and trying to step on the Thunder's throat. It was the other way around. They had to play catch-up, and I know they were close and got it, you know, a game at halftime and they took the lead and all that. But to start out that flat, you know, they, they kind of put themselves in, in that position uh, by by not being sharp in the first 12, 15, 15 minutes of the game. Here is my knock on San Antonio, and I'm not just saying this as a, a bitter Lakers fan, but when you look at teams that have defined the NBA, the the Celtics, the, the Lakers, the Bulls, even your Rockets, which my thing about the 94-95 Rockets, the most overlooked back-to-back champions in any sport, probably other than the 92-93 the Blue Jays, I mean, people just <laughs> – they just overlook the rock that those two years. Well, Michael Jordan wasn't playing. No, but the, I don't know if the Bulls beat that Hakeem the way he played in ninety four ninety five. I don't think that. But anyway, great teams repeat, and it was just recently that the Spurs even went to back to back finals. Now, I'm not saying they aren't a, a dynasty or, or they're not a good franchise, but there's something to be said for winning it and then doing it again. And the Spurs, for whatever reason, don't, don't do that. And when they are defending champions, they always it's like they lose to a, a lesser team in the playoffs. Uh so my only knock on San Antonio is not they, – they haven't repeated as champions. Celtics have done it. Lakers have done it. Rockets have done it. Bulls have done it. Even the Miami Heat have done it. So yeah. that – and I know that does, probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but when you start looking at dynasties and, 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 and that kind of thing, there's something to be said for doing it back-to-back. That that just that's just the way I feel. Uh, maybe that's my Laker mind making sure San Antonio doesn't get their their due. But uh, that you know, I, I just think that's the way that's the way it goes. 
in I don't know if you watched it like that the Clutch City documentary documentary uh that came out a few months ago of Rudy Chi and Lajuan and all the guys. Um that's one of the things that they mentioned. You you know, you talk about, you know, Jordan being gone. You know, they won it in ninety four. In ninety five I mean the ninety five season was when you look at it from the standard as a defending champ, the 95 season was awful. They're like 47-35, a six seed, so they were on the road in every round. Um, so to defend the title, it, it didn't really go well in the regular season as a defending champ. And then they still got together in the playoffs and, and repeated. I think Joe Dumars said – you know, uh, you have hurdles when you go to repeat as champ. He said the Rockets in 95 put hurdles in front of their hurdles by being the lower seed in every round, having to go on the road in every single round, and still, you know, won it and, and you know, capped it out by sweeping the magic. Robert Ory was on uh, Kenny Smith's podcast. It's called Baseline to Baseline. He's got a podcast that he does. And – they were talking about the Bulls, you know. Like you mentioned, you know, Jordan wasn't there, so that's the only reason they won it. Um, and, of course, every team is going to feel that they can beat anybody. Like you mentioned in several shows, every era is going to feel their area is the best. Robert Ory, they asked how they would, you know, stack up with those Bulls because Robert Ory not only played against them in Houston, but he played for Phil Jackson as a member of your Lakers, one title there as a member of your Lakers. So he's got seven rings in all, got his first two in Houston. He says, I love our chances against those Bulls, he said, because Phil Jackson is not going to double-team anybody. Phil would not double-team Hakeem, and Hakeem would just just go bonkers on that Bulls team. And if you look in, like, that regular season period while the Rockets were good, that two or three-year span while that Rocket team was just the way it was, I want to say that they were 6-3, it was It was lopsided in Houston's favor when they went head-to-head against Chicago, who's only met twice a year. But for that little run, Houston more than had the advantage head-to-head against Jordan's Bulls. So, like you said, it's not a lock that the Bulls would have won eight in a row. You know, and you can't just give them the 94-95 title with Jordan, with the King doing what he was doing back then. Because, and I've said this, and I think this is, is still valid, deep runs in the NBA, they grind on you. When you figure, you know, we're not even halfway through the playoffs and we still got a, another month to go, you know, a month and a half, if you will. Uh, so you play all these extra games. I don't know if during the 94 season uh, about the Bulls. They were an older team to begin with, and they were fortunate. They didn't have a lot of injuries. Well, you start putting some more miles on the odometer and you're, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for – that injury possibility. Uh, I just hate it that, and again, I'm not a Rockets fan by any stretch, but they, that 94, 95, they just get overlooked. And, and, and winning 
any championship is not easy. I don't care who they have to play. But but going back to back, I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment. And I also forgot about the, the, the Pistons going back to back in 89 and 90. Uh, yeah. And they were a hair, they were a hair away from three beats. Because they gave the Lakers all they wanted in 88. Yes. Yes, and there's that infamous uh, call on uh, Lane Beer. No, James Edwards uh, during the 88 uh, finals that kind of helped the Lakers with the game six win. But uh, in game I, seven I was 108 105. 108 105 yeah. in game seven. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but. I just think we just dismiss what the Rockets did because I don't think people – and, you know, I used to laugh at my dad and his friends. You know, we'd be watching the game, and, uh, you know, they would say, well, you didn't see so-and-so play. And I think we're reaching that point with guys we kind of watched as they came up. Akeem Olajuwon, I think – as far as big men go, I think he gets underrated as far as how physical he was. But his finesse, and in the 94 playoffs, the way he was so surgical against David Robinson, who is an all-time great defender and, and very light on his feet in his own right, but Akeem, just like a, like a rented mule, just, just took whatever he wanted, got to where he wanted. And he did the same thing to a young Shaq, you know, with that uh, 30 for 30 about the magic. I think some of the younger people remember kind of fat Shaq, you know, after, you know, his last part with the Lakers and then when he started bouncing around. But when Shaq came into the league, he was a freak. I mean, just – just, I mean, just – and I remember watching those 95 finals. And we knew what Shaq was about, and we kind of had seen what Akeem, uh, you know, did against David Robinson. But I was – I'm sure I'm not alone thinking Shaq is going to kill him. Shaq, Shaq is Shaq. He's breaking backboards. <laughs> he's, he's doing all this. And Akeem was, again, so surgical. When I think of, of post moves, I put Akeem and Kevin McHale right there, one, two. As far as footwork, shoulder moves, hips, they would give it – they would do whatever they, they could to get a shot off, which is, I'm surprised that Dwight Howard has not picked up on any of that. But that's another story. Treat. Thank you. But, uh, Thank you. Thank uh, words out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean <laughs> to have those two guys right there – and you not mm. get anything more than a jump hook, come on, man. Oh, Lord, mercy. Uh, Lord have mercy. You're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> uh, uh, but Akeem was just so surgical, and, and 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 Shaq was, you know, pounding on him in 95, but Akeem was right there with him. I mean, just <sighs> the performance he had against two all-time great centers, in the playoffs, I don't think you can just discount it by saying, well, well, Jordan wasn't there. I, I, that's just – it's not fair. It, it, it's really not fair. 
and took out Patrick Ewing in the 94 finals. Yeah, and, and Ewing, for all his negative stuff, and I know we're kind of all over the place, number one, I think it, him being in New York was kind of the worst thing for his career. I think if Patrick Ewing had gone and played anywhere else and had a similar career, I think he'd be remembered differently. But going to New York, uh, I think, was, you know, he was the number one draft pick. And I think the expectations on him to bring the Knicks back, I think that was a lot to ask of him. And I don't know if he had the offensive game to be that savior that they wanted him to be in New York. If your seven foot center's best move is that fadeaway, no, that 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 you know you need. I mean, I, I can hear my dad now shouting at the TV. You are seven foot something. What are you doing? I could just hear with that with that fadeaway. You got to attack. But you're right. Akeem went through the the toughest centers of the time, and 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 still dominated. You know, he had a quadruple double. At least one. I mean, just a phenomenal player, and and for his championships to be just dismissed as well. Jordan wasn't here. Uh, that it, it's just frustrating because that '95 Orlando Magic team was legit. They were yeah. legit, and yeah. as good as they looked the regular season and the playoffs, they looked bad in the finals because Houston broke their spirit. Houston yeah. broke their spirit when, cause I, I forget what the lead was. I remember watching this in real time. The magic get out to this lead, the old dome, the old, I'm sorry, the old arena is rocking and, and they, the kids, they got their swag, Dennis Scott, and Nick Anderson and Shaq and Penny. And it's just, and Rudy T and, and, and Mario Ellie and, and Akeem and Clyde and Kenny Smith, they just they start just chipping away. And, and once the lead got to single digits, you say to yourself, game over. Game over. Hmm. Because the magic got tight, and your Rockets yeah. kept playing. And then when Nick Anderson missed those free throws, which hmm. totally hmm. just derailed the rest of his career, yeah. Uh, and the Rockets won, you say to yourself, well, but as, as a younger person, I'm like, well, that's just one game. But now that I'm older, how you lose is very, very important. And I think the Rockets just took their heart in that first game, and that's how they ended up with that sweep. But your Rockets, underrated champion. You well said. Well said. So we got about two or three minutes left before we – close it out. I know you're more of a movie guy than I am, but i got to ask, the whole Star Wars thing today, may the fourth be with you. Is, is that anything that that kind of was in your wheelhouse, or were you were you kind of cool with that? I mean, I see what they're doing. Uh, but were you going on board with that hashtag today? No, no, I, I, I don't. I, I enjoy Star Wars and Star Trek uh, for the movies they are, but that's not a, a, a way of life. I'm not being, I'm not beating anybody over uh, the head with it, uh, like some folks do about their favorite movies and favorite TV shows. I'm, I'm not doing 
Uh, I'm not doing that uh, with the May the 4th. And the one final big note of news is like the the Heat have decided to shut Chris Bosch down for the season. He's kind of been saying he's ready to play, uh, <clears throat> saying that he was healthy and healed up from the blood clots he'd been having. That have sidelined him at different points in time. But they're going to you know, lean on the side of caution and, and not put him back into the mix. And, you know, he hasn't played in about three months. And he'll be coming back in trying to play playoff games, not just, you know, playing on the Tuesday night against the Brooklyn Nets. I'm talking playoff games against Toronto with a berth to the Eastern Conference Finals on the line. Um, so, they're, I mean, they're definitely going to miss him, and it looks like it might be Heat Cavs. Would have loved to see him go up against LeBron, but, you know, blood clots are nothing to mess with. I was listening to Eddie Johnson today, former Rocket, Sonic, and all. Um, he said he had no problem with what the Heat were doing. He said Jerome Kersey is no longer here because of blood clots. And he talked about, you know, he just spoke with Kersey a couple weeks before he passed away. So he, Chris, he says, you know, he's one that says Chris should just go ahead and retire. He's made a ton of money, won titles, don't push it. Uh, but, you know, Boston wanting to play, and, and the Heat are not going to play him the rest of the year. Well, yeah, you have to take those kinds of things uh, serious. Uh, we yeah. talk about blood clots and, and that. I mean, you have to err on the side of caution uh, at, at this point, no matter how much he wants to play. I mean, I don't know the protocol, uh, but you've got to err on the side of we do not want you dropping dead on the court, which I think is admirable. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, the teams are, are willing to, to say that. Um, but like you said, even if he was cleared, is this really you want to play back, get back into shape with playoff basketball? Not necessarily the the best way to go, I wouldn't think. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll put a cap on everything for this week. Uh, appreciate everything you brought to the show. And just remember in future shows, uh, go to NFLKYHOF. That is the Kentucky Pro Football Hall of Fame on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to have some of those guys coming up in the coming weeks, uh, just like we had Mr. Warren Bryant on a few weeks ago. So we'll have the rest of those inductees on. Uh, details to follow. Uh, they're all wanting to come on the show, and that's going to be cool. TV, man, thank you for everything. You did two shows this week. That just shows, you know, what your skill level is. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the evening. <laughs> Looking forward to next. Just a, a lot of a lot of talking. I don't mind talking, so that's not a problem at all. <laughs> well, that's fine, man. I mind listening Monday night, and of course, uh, enjoy doing the show with you, uh, like we do each and every Wednesday night. Thank you for everything. Uh, not a problem at all. Have a great rest of your week. It's Derby week. I'm going to enjoy it in moderation and. We'll be back next week. Absolutely. Have a happy Derby, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. For my man, Terry Derby Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. We'll see you all next Wednesday on Catch Talk Wednesday on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network. We just be living London.